Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this.
Welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Today is June 21st, 2013. We want to welcome you to another wonderful broadcast of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Lisa Wong, on air today with... Thomas Dwayne Smith, the visible conservative himself, in a house full of loud, rambunctious people. So, folks, I apologize. So... <laughs> Where were you? That's all right. We're glad you're here anyway. Melissa should be along with us soon. She has, you know, that woman leads a most adventurous life I have ever heard of. For, for she tries to play this. I am in a show. She's got before she comes on air. I'm going to talk smack about her. <laughs> she tries to leave this quiet. I'm just a mom and a wife to a wonderful husband, new mom, baby in the house. Go to work every day, come home every day, quiet little life. But she just was in the middle of a crime investigation earlier this week. She has seen cars explode. She has seen adventures. I'm I'm serious. This woman is in the path of some kind of providentially divine maelstrom. That guy is walking her around, and she is just going and all these things happen to her and she just talks about it it is hilarious um so <laughs> i'm just thankful that i i probably my heart would probably not take it if i had to see the kind of things that she saw uh on a daily basis try to catch criminals and, and i'm serious she she helped catch a criminal <laughs> Oh, what? she's gonna kill me when she hears this. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll nudge her when she gets on air with us and and see what she see what she gives up. See what kind of dis, uh, details she gives up today. Alrighty, well, you know how we you know how we do it. Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse nineteen. I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to host the Pro-Life Friday show, Lord God. Father, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for my two co-hosts, my co-creator of this show, and my third co-host, Ms. Melissa Palou, Lord God. Father, I thank you for the tenacious fight that they have in them for this issue, Lord God. And Father, I also, in the name of Jesus, give a shout out to a couple new friends, Lord God, who are listening tonight, Lord God. I thank you, in the name of Jesus, for the connection. For Lord, I know that not only with this radio show, but with everything that you are setting up to do with the film in the conference, Lord God. This thing is about to get kicked into overdrive. 
So I speak mm. blessing over the family, their travels. And, Lord, I ask that you keep them surrounded in your grace, your mercy, and your love. We lift up Alan Parker to you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would just continue to guide him, guide his steps, and give him the collective wisdom to fight this battle, Lord God. For as you know, he has been a champion for post-abortive women through his organization, Operation Operation Outcry, Lord God, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we do have a huge broadcast today. We have, like Thomas prayed, our guest today, later on, coming up on the show, is Alan Parker. And if you are not familiar with the name Alan Parker, Alan Parker is, um, like it says on our show page, is is from the Justice Foundation. And how is that significant? Well, the Justice Foundation is right now today uh, representing legally, legally representing and is legal counsel for two very important and pivotal women today. Their names are Menorma McCorvey and Sandra Kano, otherwise known as Jane Roe and um, what was the first name for that? Doe. Jane Rowe from Roe v. Wade. And Sandra Kano and Norma oh, um, McCorvey. Yes, Norma McCorvey. And, and Doe and Doe v. Bolton. The two. Sandra Kano. Right. The two yeah. cases, the two Supreme Court cases that set, to, set in motion in 1973 abortion as it exists today. Uh, legal abortion for all nine months, unless states enacted laws to limit the, the type of abortions that can take place. So now that is, these two cases have been definitive. And we hear a lot about Roe v. Wade, a little bit less about Doe v. Bolton, but those two cases together are what makes abortion what it is, legal abortion what it is today. And so since 1973, those two women, Norma McCorvey and Sandra Kano, have changed their positions. No longer are they arguing in favor of the, of the court cases that bear their names, these two women are completely committed to pro to the pro-life cause. They have gone on record admitting that what they were involved in was first of all not all that they thought it would be. It was it was an agenda that picked up their names and ran away with it and made it so much into so much more than they thought it was going to be at the time. But they have since changed their their positions 180 degrees and are now fighting to overturn the cases 
that they helped get heard at the Supreme Court. So far, 40 years later, they have not been successful, but that is not for nothing. They are trying to keep trying, and the Justice Foundation is behind them, representing them, legally giving them legal counsel about that, and fighting on their behalf, uh, hopefully bringing about the overturning of not just Roe v. Wade, but Doe v. Bolton as well. Um, so we will be hearing from Alan Parker later today. That man is such a wealth of knowledge about these cases. Um, I think the public has been sorely misinformed, sorely, sorely misinformed about what these court cases actually mean in society today. Um, and I, I really hope he can iron some of that out for us, and I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, ever since then, we've got a lot of doozies to take care of, to talk about. Um, I, I only picked out one today because I think that's all we have time for. Unless, uh, Thomas, did you have anything that you wanted to point out today that should be of particular interest to you? Oh, yeah. This might be oh, the yeah. one that you might be talking about, but I don't know. But I'm going to be perfectly blunt, folks. I was pissed this week when I came across an ad. Well, not it was not an ad. It was it was something that was done that gives fuel and ammunition to the pro-abortion side. St. Charles County, Missouri. A 25-year-old woman well i will not ins- i will not insult women oh, this is gonna be bad gave, gave her boyfriend a known pedophile permission to come over to her house and rape oh, her food i i wasn't i wasn't going to mention that no i'm yeah. going to mention let me tell you something, pro-lifers. You hear me and you hear me out. It's crap like that that gives fuel to the fire. Because we might we might pretend like we're outraged or something like that, but yet we're not coming to the aid of these of these babies in need. This jacked up adoption system. We talk about, well, what about adoption? Until this country fixes this, fixes the system. And my friend Colleen, we had a conversation. And she and she kind of through our chat, she opened my eyes to the reality that, you know, we're calling for the end of abortion as it should be without having any solutions. What happens if we ended abortion tomorrow? We still have a broken system, a foster care system where they're killing almost as many babies and kids. Folks, thousands of babies die, and babies and kids die in the system every year. You don't hear about it. 
Sure, true. But but I, I want to – let me push back on that. The reason why I didn't want to mention it on the show today, because it was so heinous, I couldn't. I read that story, and about halfway down the, the article, I had, to, I had to turn it off because it was so bad. Um, it may take me a couple of weeks to be able – to approach that issue, so that's why I didn't want to mention it today. I didn't want to run ahead of myself and have to have to look at something I'm not emotionally ready for. But the second thing is, are you may be talking about the foster care system, which does suck, by the way. I am I'm all in agreement with the way that it the way that it works does not work well. But there are more adoptive families, couples that are willing to adopt children out there in America today than there are babies who are being aborted every day. But here's the problem. That is out here's there. Here's the problem. Yes, they are there, but Letitia, the system, the adoptive system in this country is geared to keep women from adopting. Are men and women from adopted? They have so so many regulations. And then, what about the older kids who are beyond the adoption age, or the considered adoption age? They sit in the system. They waste away in the system until until the system is fixed. Pull a book, have an argument. Every single time another child no, I, gets I would I would disagree Let's that pro-abortionists have an argument in this case where a, a child, a baby, a baby girl was murdered because of the depravity of two people. I don't think this art, I don't think this helps them at all. If anything, it shows it, it utter hypocrisy of the left. Right, it does. It does. You're right. But they still make the argument. And guess what? Oh, I listen to them. But listen to me. Society listens to them without having all the facts. So this is all I'm saying, and this is the truth. If we're going to end abortion, we can't stop there. We better make sure while we're working to end abortion, we need to be working on getting a system that is broken and jacked up fixed so that those babies who are not aborted, if those parents or if that mother who so chooses to put her baby in adoption, she won't have to go through all these hoops paid. Well, the adoptive parents won't have to jump through all these legal hoops paid tens of thousands of dollars to be able to adopt. The American adoption system is the most expensive adoption process in the world. That is the why. That's the reason why American couples looking to adopt adopt go overseas. That's that's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. We that, need that's a good to point. No, I think you make a good point. Yeah, I think you make a good point about that. I mean, I, aside from the fact that there is a high demand from adopt parents willing to adopt, uh, I think the process you're right is 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 a little too difficult 
there are probably a, factor, a lot of factors, well, not probably, but there are a lot of factors to consider. Uh, making it easier doesn't necessarily make it better, but I think there, an argument can be made that it can be made easier and better uh, than, it, than it is right now. I, I, I would agree with that. Um, right. Well, the I was a product of the adoption system. That's all I'm saying. So, right. You know, oh, no, I, I totally agree that in those cases where it should not be difficult, we have a clear case of you know well-meaning parents who are capable and eligible to adopt who are not uh, suspicious characters themselves and children who need good parents. I think they, that the process to make those persons um, make a family from those people should be a heck of a lot easier. I, I totally agree with that. Um, speaking of family, I'm talking four generations of family that was just thrown under the bus by da 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 Chelsea Clinton herself rising to the call of the pro abortion trumpet. And okay, I'll stop talking in metaphors. There the headline that I wanted to bring out today was Chelsea Clinton laments that her my great-grandmother did not have access to Planned Parenthood. And uh, <laughs> at first you're like, oh, face palm, face palm, face palm, face palm. And then you begin to chuckle at how, how idiotic such a statement is. Um, I, I'm thinking maybe Chelsea Clinton should rethink her comments, saying that she wished her great-grandmother could have aborted her unplanned daughter. That is aborted Chelsea Clinton's grandmother. Um, her great grandmother was an unwed teenager, apparently, uh, when she became pregnant. Now, now I, you know, I want Ms. Clinton. She's married, but she's kept her last name. To think about this, you wish that your own great grandmother could have aborted the one person that is directly tied to your own existence, not to mention your famous out-bisexual mother who clawed and lied her way into high political office in this country and is, a, is now a household name. Your own father was president of the United States for two terms, and you say that it would have been better for your great-grandmother to have had the chance to abort everything that made the life you now experience possible. I'd like to tell you that this is somehow a new song being sung here, but it, it really is the same thankless and pathetic tune that liberals and leftists croon out every day. Well, instead of accounting, instead of counting the blessings that life has brought to four generations in Chelsea Clinton's family, and countless others who have benefited from the well-to-do kind-hearted people like those in her family. Yes, even the liberal Democrats. Chelsea Clinton takes out a saw and starts cutting off the very tree branch she's sitting on. Now, I know she didn't intend to spit on four generations of her family, etc. 
But she hawked a loogie on her own circumstances all the same. And the bigger point is this. It's not just about Chelsea Clinton saying this loony team stuff. The bigger point is this. This is how leftist ideology chains the mind and the mouth to its agenda. Nothing but nothing gets in the way of the pro-death drumbeat in the world of the Democrat Party. And you're going to say, oh, you're getting political now, Letitia. You're talking about parties and political parties and all that stuff. No, no, no. I'm not getting political. This is what it is. Dissent on the abortion issue in the Democrat Party is not tolerated. It's not tolerated. Where are the pro-life Democrats? They are so far underground. Let me tell you how far underground they are. Six feet. The last time a pro-life Democrat dared to come up for air, they got stomped on. They got stomped on for about 20 years yep. now. What what was a kind of personal conscience issue in the Democrat Party? That's why we had. That's why they had um, pro-life Democrats. With the election, with the during the Bill Clinton years, and especially during the Bush years, the party right. of choice has become the party of abortion. What fundamentally unites the Democrat Party is not all these other things, not labor unions, it's not immigration, it's not the little person, definitely not the little person, because we're talking about the littlest people of all, and they don't count those. Uh, and all these other little these issues, they claim, you know, it's the liberal way. It's none of that. You can have complete dissent on that. You can think differently about that. It's not about economics. It's not about any of that. The one thing, the one issue you cannot dissent on within the Democrat Party is abortion. I challenge anybody to find another issue that is as lockstep demanding as the abortion issue. You won't right. find it. Right. You won't find it. And, you hit, and so, go ahead. Welcome, Faye. You hit the you hit the nail on the head because abortion, it you know, back in the day, we know the whole we know the whole purpose, the whole intent and purpose, and it was it was a lie based on a deception. And when we bring uh, Alan on, I'm gonna I'm gonna have him share that before we talk about what um, what he's working on with um, the Liberty Council today. But um, Letitia, you hit the nail on the head. But as I've shared, and and it's and it's really it's really adamant. It's very important and. My friend, Colleen, and you'll hear me reference her a lot because um, this is an issue that is personal to her. We had hours of conversation over the last several days, and we talked about a lot of things. And 
what we as pro-lifers need to understand. As we're fighting to end abortion, we also need to be equally preparing for the influx, if you will, more babies having having centers that prepares the right proper um, uh, medical assistance, if you will, counseling, the right type of counseling, not the type of stuff that they have today that hurts these hurting women through through um through the ranks like they're some type of cattle. That's the problem. So I'm and I know we're all in agreement. I know you're not disagreeing with me because you and I have talked about this. But as she puts it bluntly, it is time for the pro life movement to put their money where their mouth is. They need to support organizations like the Justice Foundation and Operation Outcry, the Last Civil Rights, our show, many others who are actually sick and tired of just talking and actually out there doing something. So with that, Letitia, let's take a break, and then we'll bring um, Alan on after the break. That's right. We'll get you. All right, here. Here we go. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18 multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion. It's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized in silence. The U.S. Senate report states Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies.
and the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Letitia Wong, and I'm on the air with Thomas Smith and Melissa Palou. Maybe you're there. <laughs> um, uh, we were just talking earlier about um, just the state of abortion in this country being what it is and how it got to be what it is. Um, and we have on our show today uh, a very, very important guest who was, I think, if I don't miss my guess, who was a voice on the clip from the Blood Money documentary that we just listened to? Yes, he was. <laughs> That's right. So, Thomas, tell us about our guest. Well, I had the phenomenal and awesome pleasure of being introduced to this gentleman by another awesome and phenomenal friend of the show, Miss Alice Patterson. And I forget the circumstances behind our connection, but I do know this. The first time we had him on our show, we had him, a panel of seven post-abortive women, the first time we had done that, and it was phenomenal. This man was the legal counsel for both Norma McCovey, McCorvey and Sandra Kano. Both Norma McCorvey was Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade, and Sandra Kano was the Doe in Doe versus Bolt. Two cases that changed the very fabric of this nation. Now, recently, the Justice Foundation has been involved in another defense of a landmark case. So, please join us, Pro-Life Friday listeners, in welcoming Mr. Alan Parker of the Justice Foundation in Operation Outcrack. Back to our show. Alan, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be with you and Melissa. Melissa's not yeah. on yet, but Leticia's here, and Melissa's probably in transit because craziness. <laughs> but, oh. Alan. Oh, okay. Sorry there. All right. Oh, no, it happened. She's she's actually listening. I think she's listening on her phone. But um, All right. And if I may just say something, I appreciated your wonderful introduction of me, but I want to do make, I do want to make it clear that I represented Norma and Sandra in their efforts to overturn their overturn own cases. Overturn it, that's right, that's right. That's right, not in the original cases that brought abortion to America. So 
I don't want to have to live life. with the shame that uh, right. both of them have had to conquer in their life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. Oh, yeah. I, wow. I didn't want to make. Yeah, that's true. We didn't. Want, we don't want to confuse anybody. But I thought I had. A, I didn't mention that outright, and I should have. Yes, that's true. You represent them today right. in their efforts to overturn their those cases. Yes, and uh, we did represent Norma uh, from about 2000 and 2012. We're currently not engaged in anything with her right now, but we are still representing Sandra Kano, who was Doe of Doe v. Bolton. And both women themselves are still very strongly pro-life and want to be uh, want to be instrumental, used by God in overturning the decisions that use their names to bring abortion to America. Right. So let me let me just get out of the gate and just ask the question that's been pressing on my mind about these two cases. What is I know these I know they are two different cases, but they are kind of two cars in the same train. Um what is preventing both of these cases from being overturned? You can summarize just generalize for us if you can. <laughs> I guess so I what is say the real There's a there's a thousand ways to answer that. The short answer is one vote at the Supreme Court is always need that to keep them from overturning, uh, from being overturned, and uh, that's Justice Kennedy at the Supreme Court. Uh, mm-hmm. There are probably four justices that would reverse, four judges that would pro- maintain it, and right now, Justice Kennedy I think has an open mind. And the reason I say that, in the last abortion decision that the Supreme Court wrote, which was April 18, 2007, the case was called Gonzalez v. Carhart, and Justice Kennedy Mm -hmm. wrote the opinion. So in that time, for the first time in 35 years, he actually allowed a particular abortion method to be outlawed, and that was partial birth abortion. And uh, he... Notoriously, actually, he's kind of gone back and forth on the issue ever since the 90s. Um, in like the 1989 and earlier cases, he had written that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. But in mm-hmm. 1992, when Planned Parenthood v. Casey came to the Supreme Court, we now know from Justice Blackmun's papers that came out five years after he died that on the day of oral argument in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, Justice Kennedy voted to overturn Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. So we Hmm. had five votes uh, recorded, uh, but they were unofficial. After after oral argument, the judges go back in chambers, and then they start with the youngest and go to the oldest member of the court uh, in terms of seniority on the court. And... uh, say how they're going to vote. And Justice Rehnquist, who was alive at the time, thought he had a decision to reverse Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. And the pro-life movement thought we had it because there were five writ- judges who wrote in prior opinions that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And on the right. day of oral argument, we got it overturned. But uh, right. in that same month, April of 1992, there were about 600,000 women that marched on Washington, D.C., and said they're not going to go back. And I believe that Justice Kennedy, in a way, was swayed by women's voices because Mm -hmm. he finally agreed to a compromise in 
Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which significantly undermined Roe and Doe. Instead of it being a fundamental right that could there could be no infringement on whatsoever, the highest level of right requiring strict scrutiny of any legislation attempting to regulate abortion or ban it, instead of that fundamental right, it reclassified abortion as a simply a right, like any other right, and introduced the undue burden standard and said, well, as long as a woman can still do it, the state can reasonably regulate it. And that allowed 24-hour waiting periods. It allowed informed consent laws. And we have seen some reduction in the number of abortions, I believe. Uh, and there's been a lot of legislation, incremental legislation passed. But uh, he thought there would be reasonable regulation. Well, in the year 2000, when the 38 states had passed a ban on partial birth abortion, Justice Kennedy was in the minority, and Justice O'Connor wrote a majority opinion striking down the laws of all 38 states, even laws that banned abortion when three-quarters of the baby was out. They stuck a skull, uh, scissors in the skull and sucked out the brains. And mm-hmm. Justice Kennedy was outraged. You can read his opinion in that case, and he says he, you can feel the betrayal. Because what he wanted was a compromise on abortion. Well, you know, like uh, maybe not every abortion is okay, but, you know, as long as a woman can kind of get an abortion, let's have some reasonable regulations on this thing. Somewhat like many Americans, who I call the mushy middle, are. Um, Mm -hmm. But he felt betrayed. And so in the year 2007, uh, George Bush passed the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. Congress passed it at the federal level. And what I believe was different was this time women were on the side of the law, and we represented 180 women hurt by abortion in that case. And we had taken their cases, their voices, and the knowledge of their pain to the Supreme Court in a friend-of-the-court brief in that case. And the reason I know it impacted Justice Kennedy Two reasons I could go back. When we got started, God told me that it would be the women's voices that overturned abortion. But you can read it in writing in the opinion. You don't have to believe that because mm-hmm. uh, he says in the opinion, we find it unexceptionable to conclude that some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once created and sustained. First time they ever called it infant life instead of potential life. And then he said, see page 22 to 24 of the brief of Sandra Cano et al., which is Latin for 180 others, page 22 Mm -hmm. to 24. And that was the page with the women's testimonies where they told the court how devastating abortion felt, how nightmares, how they felt like murderers, how their guilt led them into shame and secrecy and prostitution and uh, promiscuity and uh, seductions and uh, a lot of substance abuse. So just a horrible truth-telling of the devastation. He then went on to cite the brief again and said, severe depression and loss of esteem can follow this. Cited the brief again, the women's testimonies. So we know that uh, he said uh, that this testimony... now. He also said something that kind of shows he's still thinking about it. He said, 
However, we find no reliable data to measure this phenomenon, meaning the phenomena of trauma and severe loss of esteem. Uh, so what that means is how big is the phenomenon in layman's terms? We showed him that some women are hurt. He admitted that. How big is it? So he still wants to know what's the effect of abortion on women, and that's why women's voices Unfortunately, men's voices are important, too, in the political battle, the moral battle, the justice battle. But right now at the Supreme Court, men have no voice. Women's voices are the only one the court's listening to on abortion. And the voices of women who've had abortion is being heard in the legislatures and the courts around the country. Hmm. This raises an interesting question, and I'll ask it on behalf of my co-host Thomas here. What about um, what about a man's voice who was a potential victim of abortion, speaking out about the value of his life? Well, you know, that's a very interesting and powerful voice that needs to be heard the next time the Supreme Court four legislatures along the way deal with abortion. And I have read most of the briefs at the United States Supreme Court, and I can't remember any that deal representing that type of voice before the court. And now we know so many survivors, I think they very well should have an amicus or a friend of the court brief at the U.S. Supreme Court the next time the court considers abortion. Their voices should be oh, heard. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a virtual bow here. Thank you, thank you, Thomas. I'll accept your uh, I'll, I'll accept your I mean you, you're welcome, Thomas. I'll accept your thanks. You'll thank me for this later <laughs> uh, because I have been telling Thomas for a while now that his story needs to be told a lot more. Uh, it needs to be more widespread than just conversations between himself. And friends, uh, what he has found out, and I'll let you tell. I, I mean, when when we get off the air one of these days, you need to hear his complete story, as far as he knows it today, because it is not finished yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I do say, and people have to be ready to tell their stories in their own time. We don't we don't out people, but it is oh, a powerful. Oh, Okay, well, good, because his testimony is powerful, and it is. Uh, So uh, I agree, those who have survived abortion, we have a television program called Faces of Abortion. In fact, we're starting our sixth season this June 24th, a couple days from now, on uh, Sky Angel Network and Dish Network television. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a show called Faces of Abortion, and We've had some survivors give their testimonies before. Uh, We had a little boy who was eight years old, and his mother tried to abort him in the womb, and actually he was a surviving twin. His twin brother was killed by the abortion, and they thought they'd done the the deed, and yet little Roman was still in there being born, and Mama kept getting more and more, stayed pregnant, and he was born, so... Uh, he's a survivor of a kind of a very unusual situation in that respect. Yes, and, and we've had uh, a guest on who was also a surviving twin of of an abortion. Uh, it is, and those stories are particularly touching because that 
that individual was so close to death, was intended for death, um, and yet through through the through that experience uh, managed to live, and God had provided for that person to live and to tell their stories, uh, tell tell his or her story later on. And we love to have guests like that because those testimonies are extremely powerful. I mean, you cannot deny somebody uh, who's staring at you, talking to you uh, in a very human voice, their desire to to not be treated uh, as disposable, as none of us would. None of Absolutely. Us would Right. And God you know, says that's a brand plucked from the burning like Charles Wesley also. Right. Yes, Thomas. You know, I'm listening to you guys talk, and I have my two friends who are listening in, and they're trying to um, recruit me to speak for Congress, before Congress. And like I've always said, you know what? What I've endured in my life, I have no fear of Washington, D.C. So, Alan, you ever want me to come testify before the Supreme the Supreme Court, Congress, anybody else, I will ask this question to them because, as I've told people, and for those of you who might not be listening, my mom was encouraged to abort me because I was a partial tubal pregnancy, ectopic for those of you who like the scientific terms, but for me, it was a tubal pregnancy. And this is the irony I point out to people. They were willing to perform a C-section to abort me, to kill me. They did not perform the C-section to save my life. My mom was in labor for 39 and a half hours. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention she only had one fallopian tube left. She, her heart stopped beating five times on that table. Mm-mm-mm. This is the question I ask to those individuals. Are you telling me because I was born under circumstances that you find less than desirable, that my life is expendable. Absolutely. I would love for uh, you to have an audience to ask that question to. People with enough uh, governmental power or authority to make decisions based on your testimony. I would love to see that. I think we need to see that. And it can be very powerful. Yes, and I salute you for being willing to share it publicly on your blog and maybe to even do a video uh, for YouTube or something, too. It's amazing how those can get out. Unfortunately, at the yeah. Supreme Court, you don't get to talk, ask too many questions. We right. have, probably That's have to true. submit it in writing. But but your voice is there and your testimony is there. And in a legislative session, you can ask more questions. Sadly, today, some people might tell you to face that they wish you'd been that you'd been better off, or that they'd be okay if you were killed. I mean, it it shocks us 
And yet mm-hmm. I have found uh, in the pro-life movement, that, and, and I would say we're getting more callous as a society towards devaluing human life. Now, if people, particularly people knew you or something, then comes out and they value you anyway, that's one thing. But once you step into this politicized debate, it's shocking. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's right. comments recently about late-term abortions, little children who are who could live outside the womb and, uh, you know, um, who are viable. You know, if you give them a place to live and, like you say, do the C-section, get them out of there, they can live. But, no, we're not mm-hmm. even going to save them. And and the Kermit Gosnell horror uh, overlooked for decades by the Maryland Department right. of Health. Right, right. Uh, the, the callousness is, is overwhelming, which is why we need both the respect for the life and the knowledge of the damage it does to the women, because I call it the one-two punch. When you only talk about the child, we get about maybe 30 40 50% of the vote, when, and, and yet other people, I don't know why, that maybe because the, the, the mother is more visible and they're used to thinking about mothers, well, what about her? And uh, the hard cases and such, you know, we'll, we'll get somebody to thinking, yeah, well, uh, when the when when women talk about how terrible what the abortion did to them, what was supposed to be your compassionate solution for me, made me feel like a murderer because I'd killed my own child, a human being, and I began to feel intense guilt and like a murderer. Then, then the whole, it kind of blows the whole deception away, and you realize right. you're you're not helping anybody in that situation. So, right. right. You, you brought up another but, thing. I, but, I wanted to ask you, um, how do these cases that have come up recently um, affect, and how, how should they affect, and what can we expect? How can we encourage this? I mean, I'm asking a ton of questions at the same time, but two in, in particular, the Gosnell tri- trial and, and its revelations, um, and then, in particular, you're thinking that I'm going to say Douglas Carpin, but that actually will come later. The other one I want to point to was the Ariel Castro kidnapping in Ohio case. How do you think? That's, because he is going to, he is going to be charged with two counts of of, of murder. murder. Yes. Two counts well, of it's interesting. I don't know why I, it's not I, five, I'm glad. Yeah, uh, I, I for murder of the babies that uh, were right. born and murdered, right? And um, I think it's sh- I, I think it's very astute of you to bring that up. I haven't heard a lot of it. I uh, I just wrote something about it myself, and it does two things. It shows the humanity of the child uh, because this is a human being and it's been murdered, and 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 even people when the mother's not doing it think it's wrong that's why we have a kind of schizophrenic that we have uh, fetal homicides rules statutes right. in a lot of state if someone other than the mother kills the baby it's homicide and that it's includes right. him well right. we we have this special protection for the women and the only ones that can overcome that are the women but i also show and i pointed this out in my commentaries it also shows how the child of rape is such a blessing of hope and that even in that rape situation, and of course no one should be in that. I'm not, please, no one listening, I'm not justifying what he did, 
But the child of rape was a ray of hope, and when she escaped, she took her child with her. That right. child that was born gave her a reason to live in, in, in situations where some people might have attempted to commit suicide. And, and I don't know, uh, they have, the, the victims have not spoken a lot, but I, you know, so I, I don't want to say too much, but I could tell from the fact that she escaped with her child, she was protecting not only, you know, she didn't leave that piece of trash behind, that, vic, that, that, that monster's child, no, that was mm-hmm. her child. That child was innocent and is not guilty for the father's horrible sin. We do not execute children for the sins of their fathers in this country. That's barbarism. That is mm-hmm. inhumane to the highest degree, and it shows that, but it, it also shows that that child was a ray of hope and joy and, and purpose and meaning in a horrible situation. And I've also seen that in even human trafficking and forced prostitution cases in the more commercial context rather than, you know, pure individual sexual slavery. There's sexual slavery going on in prostitution, you know, wherever prostitution is occurring, there are women being forced into that. And yet having a child will often give them some hope, a reason to live, and then, but when they're forced to abort that child, which also occurs in human trafficking, uh, it's some of the women have told law enforcement even it's a deeper trauma than even just the repeated sexual trauma of having to have sexual contact with huge numbers of men over time. And so, I I think you're absolutely right that, and I think it's God who is letting some of these deeds of darkness become known. We entered in, we have passed out of 40 years of the wilderness in the and and we are entering the promised land. Now, they didn't get the whole promised land after the 40 years. And I'm referring to the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade obviously back on mm-hmm. January 22nd. Well, right. many of us have believed that 2013 will be the year of Exodus. And Exodus 20.13 says, thou shalt not murder. And um, I believe we've seen an explosion of pro-life legislation in both Arkansas and North Dakota at some point we want to talk to because those pro-life things shoot right at the heart of Roe and Doe. They really can, they need to be, they, they can be used to overturn Roe and Doe. And right. they'll come through St. Louis to the St. Louis Court of Appeals. So I know more ah. people than just St. Louis listen to your blog radio, but your city where you're broadcasting from has a special responsibility to be praying for the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals and uh, preparing the way for cases that could go through there on the way to ending legalized abortion in America. That That is a great point. Yes, thank you for reminding me that here. I'm the only one that lives in St. Louis, but I will carry that water. I definitely will. <laughs> in in Logan Square. Um, yes, what is it? Hey, um, Alan, do you, have, do you have time to take a potential question, comment from a friend of mine? Um, because this, this is a topic that has... Um, that has well, I'll let her. I'll let her share with you because uh, 
Letitia, I was going to have her be our well be our guest in the next segment of the show, but what what is being talked about here hits home with her. So I am going to bring on my friends and this woman in and of herself, Alan, has a has a story a powerful story. Um I'm about to hey, anyway. I'm Hi, I'm here. How are you? You're on you're on the air. Um okay. you have a question or comment? Um, what uh, the comment actually what I was getting, what I had made, which I actually typed it into you over Facebook in a message with the the statement about the, the everybody brings up always about the rape victims and you know, with the with the abortions that occur with the rape victims and then the rape victims that do go on to carry on the child that they, uh, they there's actually that's a rare number. It does happen. But it's a rare number of people that actually go to term because when you are pregnant, when a, and your hormones are changing and it's by a rape, that's a whole different ball game going on. Most women do not carry to term. The numbers are out there. I had to walk outside because my grandbabies are actually playing inside, and I didn't want to go through all the numbers. But the numbers are actually up there. Most women that do that get pregnant by rape do not carry to term, and usually it's because of their mental health that it gets covered. That you know that it's that way. That, but the there are some that do though. It's not to say there aren't. There are some that do carry the term, and it is wonderful when they are able to do so. But not a lot of women are able to do so. You have to be really, really strong. You have to have a very good family background backing you up and, and stable people around you, which women that get raped do not get when they're raped. Usually they're shunned and, and passed on, and you go to a counselor once a month. They don't get, you know, they're, they're thinking about what their life is going to be, how they're going to be shunned with their friends. They're already embarrassed about being raped in the first place. So it, it and it has nothing to do with the life inside of them. I can tell you that from personal experience because I myself was a rape victim. I was a gang rape victim. So the, the idea of it being a child doesn't necessarily go through your head. You're thinking about the rape itself at the time. Right, right. That's and right. See, and what is your question? Just a comment. Alan, you wanna you wanna speak to that as well because I know with Operation Outcry you have dealt with um oh before before Alan Alan um speaks to that Kaleem, I will I will let you know he, he is the founder of Operation Outcry. And so what you're talking about he he can he could probably speak to that because of the anyway I'll let him explain it to you but Alan you want to um, address what she said there yes I would be very happy to do that 
I don't I don't think we need to focus on how often it happens because it does happen right. sometimes. I've I've spoken to other women such as yourself who were born in rape, and so how and of course we want to make rape as rare, rare as possible. And of course, uh, even a woman is only fertile at certain times, so she may get raped when she's not it's not she, she's not in the part of her cycle where she's uh, fertile. So. Uh, it doesn't happen every time a woman gets raped, but it does happen sometimes. So, really, we just right. Need to it's focus about thirty-two thousand one hundred and one each year. <laughs> I have the numbers in front of me. And um, so the question is, you know, I think people do have a great compassion for the woman at that point, as they should, as we all should. And it right. wasn't until I began to talk to women who were raped and had abortions because they thought that that was the answer that you find out that's not the answer. And uh, in fact, they often say they felt like a victim of the rape, but they began to feel as guilty as the rapist of the murder of their own child. And yet other women... Who that has to do a lot with society after that. <laughs> you I'm sorry, I missed that. I said that has a lot to do with society after that. I, I, w- I went through the same thing. That has to do with a lot of society after that, putting you down, saying you did the wrong thing, and they're seeing that you're telling you you did the wrong thing. So, yeah, you do begin after, you know, when you're still processing the rape, you're still getting told that, oh, you did the wrong thing, you know, with the pro-life movement. And I am a part of the pro-life movement, but people tend to over-criticize. And they're, all they focus on is you did wrong. You shouldn't have done that. There's this outlet, that outlet, and other outlets. And that's where the the guilt of being, you know, saying that they did something wrong, that's where that comes in because society turns around and, and screams and yells, yes, that was the wrong thing to do. But at the time, you're not thinking that. You're not thinking of that. No. So were you a victim of a rape who chose abortion, or were you a child born of rape? I was a gay victim uh, and I ended up having an abortion. The doctors deemed it medic. I was actually raped while I was in the U.S. military. So when I went in, I went fine when, when I found out I was raped and they deemed it medically necessary for me to have an abortion and I wasn't actually able to even make my own decision because I had gone just out of my mind. Right. Oh, wow. And w- let me say this. We don't we don't condemn anyone who's had an abortion in this country. It was legal. Your court was telling you it's fine to do it. And um, and um, what what we need to do is change the law. Rape victims need counseling, uh, free. We need right. uh, the DNA from yeah. the child so we can find the rapist and punish the rapist who's the guilty party. And then we need to provide um, – take – take care of that child somewhere else. It should entirely be the mother's choice whether or not she cares for the child after birth or not or whether the child is placed for adoption or with another family. Or So she should be able to walk away and not have to bear the legal responsibility to care for that child. She did not and have yes. anything to you do made, with You made the with point that we had just, that Thomas had just made earlier, which Thomas and I have been talking about for hours, is that we, we need to also fix the care system for rape victims and these babies, the adoption yes. system, the foster care system, and everything else. Most people do not focus on that. 
They don't. They the only yeah. thing that everybody usually focuses on is the pro-life movement. They don't focus on what needs to be taken care of in order to make the pro-life movement work. Yes, right. and and I and I agree with you. And that is one reason Operation Outcry focuses on the woman's perspective. There are many many women are forced to have abortions in America. The most common is adult parents forcing a girl to have an abortion. Um, you know, that's not the woman's choice. Sometimes it's the father right. of the child saying, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to have this baby. Get rid of it. And I'm, sometimes yes, it's, it's physical assault. As well. Yes. Right. And did, did, yeah. did you mention yes. incest? Yes, that's where the numbers, you actually won't get the numbers of the children raped by incest because they do not print those numbers up. When you go to look on the, on the board um, where it tells you all the census and the numbers, they cannot print up the children's names, but there are a lot of children by incest who get forced to go in and have an abortion because the person who raped them, the family member, does not want anybody to know. Right. Exactly. Right. And you, you make a very good point that if you have an incest exception, you're really just protecting the abuser, not the young girl. It would it would be better for her if she got pregnant and somebody said, who's the father, and there was some paternity testing, and, and put the man in jail and stopped the abuse. So you're right. Well, <clears throat> Usually they find out afterwards, though. They don't find out before with cases of incest. Not before, but, I well, agree. And and we've come a long way towards believing the victims a little bit more than we used to, but it still goes on. I don't mean to say it doesn't. And then, um, and, right, uh, with, like, even with your organization, I would say we even need to go as far as educating our pro-life movement, too, as far as not to be judgmental. I understand your group is not judgmental against women who have an abortion, but that's not the majority of people out there in the community. The community and the pro-life movement, is they can be very harsh on women who had abortions. What they should be doing yes. is taking them in and counseling with them and talking to them and finding out what caused them to do this in the first place. Or if it was a case of race or rape or incest, they should be offering counseling services. They need to open their hearts with love, not hate, not turning around and saying, you did a bad thing. Because that's where, at the end of a rape, especially for rape victims, they turn around, and that's where they feel guiltier than the rapist. Than, than the rapist, because you have society telling them you messed up, you did a bad thing, you should be ashamed of yourself. Well, let me let me speak to let me speak to that real quick. I mean, there's there's certainly that um, I would agree that there are plenty of people who consider themselves pro-life that come, do come down very hard on women who have had abortions, regardless of the reason, especially if they've been raped, but regardless of the reason, and um, and and seek to do some, and seek to try to punish the woman, if not legally, then then uh, societally, punish the her for um, having done that. And I certainly don't think. I mean, none of us here on this show, and, none, and our guests would not either, uh, agree with that type of reaction. And and you know, shame on the people who who try to make women um, try to try to punish women themselves for. Um, having made a mistake, and it is a mistake, an abortion is a mistake. However, it doesn't mean that abortion itself doesn't carry a certain amount of moral responsibility. And that comes whether 
whether anybody says anything or not. I mean, the reason why abortion is the wrong decision to make is because it takes the life of an innocent human being. And that by itself is, is something that should, by itself, cause women who we, in general, we consider ourselves the more compassionate gender. We consider ourselves to be wanting to be the life givers in, in society and, and to be fair and to be kind and to be compassionate and all that. Where we have then as, if we as, as the women are supposed to be that, failed. then we as the, the women need to come together and put our money where our mouth is too. Because right, right now we have exactly. 425,000 kids sitting in the adoption care system right now sure, waiting I, to be adopted. I totally agree with that. Yeah, you so won't get any money where I'm out there that. and start fixing yeah. the system. We need, you know, not only do, you know, I the pro-life movement, yes, abortion is wrong, but we have to give a solution to problems that exist as well. If not, right. we're not going to make any headway if we're not fixing the adoption process it, because those people are going overseas and adopting kids out of Africa and, J- and Japan and China because it's easier to adopt there. But then, you know, those who are not that rich can't do that. And then the foster care system, we have 26,000 that age out of that system every single year. Where the adoption parents and all these people, when when people are screaming adoption, is there, well, the kids are sitting there. And then it gets into politics, which was, uh, I was telling Thomas over the thing, that turns into politics because then those kids that are in the system... They granted there are some like Thomas who get out there, they turn their lives around, things like that, but the majority of them don't. I've worked in group homes, I worked in foster care. Those kids come out to be a lot of them, the majority of them come out to be the same people that live on entitlement and living off their government that the conservatives and the pro lifers are already screaming about paying for with their taxpayers' money. That's why people need to put their money where their mouth is. Right. You won't right. get any disagreement about that uh, from me. Yes. Um, but let's... Let me say let me say this real quick because I want to speak to what you said, Letitia, about the moral compass. That's exactly what Colleen and Allen are talking about. If you mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to help a woman who's been raped and who aborted her baby because of rape come to a realization about that, you need the right kind of counseling. Not just some, not just, you know, like how they do, you hurt the women through some government-sponsored counseling just just like she's like cattle. No, you need, you need compassion. You need, and I'll give, I'll give you a biblical example. The, the, the people the Jewish people were surrounding the woman caught in the sin of adultery. They were about to stone her. And then they thought they were going to trip up Jesus and said, the law says that we should stone this woman because she committed adultery. Jesus kneeled down and started scribbling something in the sand. They said something else to him. He still was writing in the sand. He finally said, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. Every single one of them dropped, the first, dropped their stone. And 
And as the Bible says at the end of that, it was only Jesus and that woman left. And he asked this woman, that woman, this question. Woman, where art thou accuser? And she said, I don't know, Lord. And he said, then, neither will I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Oh, Lord. In a nutshell, that's the kind of passion and compassion we as pro-lifers need to show. Because the truth of the matter is this. Those pro-aborts don't give a rip about those women. And they do not need us as pro-lifers coming down on them like it happens. I have seen it with my own eyes. We are not supposed to do that because when we do, no matter how Christian we say we are, we are going against the very foundation of who God himself is, and that is love. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Who are we to do something that Jesus himself didn't even do? Amen. And All let me right. say, we do yeah. offer the resource of pretty a free, biblically-based uh, abortion recovery programs all over the country. It's not just the Justice Foundation or Operation Outcry, but God has raised up an army of women who are ministering to other women who've gone through what you've gone through. Some more regular abortion, some abortion as a result of rape. And they understand the pain. They minister through Jesus Christ to each other. They peel back the layers of the problem because there's many layers. Uh, anger towards other people. Um, the, how do you respond to what people said to you? And, you know, referring back to the word of the truth. And that an organization that helps you find one in your local area is called the National Helpline for Abortion Recovery. National Helpline for Abortion Recovery. And I'll give the number in a minute if anybody's listening wants to write it down because we encourage any woman who's had an abortion for any reason and men to go through abortion recovery programs. It's just a deep wound of many layers and uh, it's. I am so glad you said men too. Right. You yes. can give that number. Men, men get affected too. <laughs> All right. And that um, number is yes. 866 482 yeah, LIFE. That's the toll free number, 866 482 LIFE. And it is not the unforgivable sin, uh, it is a sin. That causes a deep wound both in yourself and in your relationships with others around you, and uh, so it takes it's a lot. But uh, even in a weekend, you can get a great beginning, and then sometimes an eight to ten week Bible study, you can really deal with it. And what does God say? And receive His love and forgiveness. When you feel Jesus's arms around you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And it is absolutely true, and it's the most amazing, freeing, wonderful, joyful thing in the world. 
no matter what Will you send that to uh, Thomas, those links for me? Because I'm actually on the road. I'm actually in Texas. I'm calling in from Texas. I'm not even at home. And no blog about your organization and your website because that number and, and your your organization needs to be put out there more because a lot like this is the first time I've heard of it. And so if I'm the yes. first and if it's the first I've heard of it, then I know there's a lot of other people that have not heard of it either. And that is the most excellent, excellent thing that anybody could be doing for these women, having especially having other women come and talk to these women that know how to tear back the layers and things like that. Because I've, I've had to do that, too, with agent counseling groups, and I've actually counseled women myself. But you don't get – the names aren't out there. Women don't know where to go. So um, I actually work with the last civil rights. So please look us up so you can we can get in touch with you, and we will actually write it up and get that number and your organization out there so more women get to hear about it, too. Oh, that's yep. great. It's all on our website, operationoutcry.org, and Thomas does have all my information or knows how to get right. in touch with me, so we will. We're going to post that up on our Facebook page, too, for Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Excellent. Yep. Right. And uh, I'm going to be in St. Louis myself on October 17th and uh, right. on Saturday. And uh, there's going to be a group of people praying at the uh, Court of Appeals, actually. And that group oh, is wow. called Bound for, Bound for Life. It's mm-hmm. bound, the number four, life.com. And you can register to attend the prayer session. Uh, you know, it's a they do what's called they call a silent siege, meaning they stand in front of the court with red tape across their mouth and the word life written on it, and they pray to God to end the injustice of abortion and for women and men to receive the healing that they need and uh, for courts to do justice and for society to provide more help and healing to victims. Uh, so. It's a neat group, and I'm going to be one of the speakers for that on August 17th. And uh, boundforlife.com has uh, more information on that if people are in the St. Louis area. That would be a great event. If you are, if you do live in the St. Louis area or nearby, I encourage all of our listeners to come to that event, make it a great one, uh, and get a chance to meet Alan Parker and speak to him about um, I'm interested in all the li- the little legal ins and outs of why, you know, the, uh, the general question, why is abortion the way it is in the United States? And, you know, how can we, how can we begin to reverse that, that um, this course of action? I, I really think uh, abortion, in, in time, time speaking, when we're talking about time, it is something that we have had, we've been made to go through, and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can see the exit. But I think of it more of the more in terms of how do we get ourselves out? Uh, we reverse direction. How do we give, get ourselves out of the pit of abortion, which is, you know, legal murder. It is legalized murder. Uh, right. And how do we well, Arkansas, and get out of it? Arkansas, yeah, Arkansas just passed a bill on March 6th of this year to ban all abortions after 12 weeks if there's a beating heart. And that would mean the child's still alive, obviously, if he has a beating heart. You you, you know, children, some children do die in the womb. They're stillborn and miscarriage, and 
But if the child has a beating heart, then you can't award it after 12 weeks. That's already in the district court in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll probably reach the Court of Appeals in St. Louis within a year or two. And then uh, North Dakota passed a ban on abortions after six weeks if there's a beating right. heart, which, of course, there is if the child's alive. And that would be uh, yes. about 90% of abortions. We and are following South Dakota, that legislation too. Mm-hmm. And South Dakota is involved in litigation, which may end up at the Supreme Court, and it also goes right. through St. Louis. So you've got three so different see, states with – yes. So we, we see, yes, three different states um, about to be a fourth. Arizona is going to yes. uh, pass a 20-week ban, a ban on abortion as well. Yes, um, we're just yes. now getting that through. I'm at the uh, precinct meeting in Arizona. Arizona. Clean is from Arizona, right. so. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm at the uh, precinct committee in there, so yeah, we're we're trying to get it there as quick as possible, and we'll try to lower that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we see all these we see all this legislation, and they are going to converge eventually onto the Supreme Court, at least one of them, uh, with all these all these uh, soon to be court cases. Converging on the Supreme Court, you know, do you see a, an outcome that possibly could, could, by virtue of the decision uh, the Supreme Court makes, make an impact in overturning, either by directly overturning Roe v. Wade or by somehow subverting Roe v. Wade? Yeah, it could be, and actually, or nullifying the dissent. In Carhartt v. Gonzalez, uh, Mm -hmm. they've actually, the dissent thinks they've actually turned it into, I'm going to use a legal term and then explain it, into a rational relationship test already, meaning we have a lot of rights, like free speech, but it can be regulated. And uh, we have a, a right to own property, but our property is regulated. And as long as there's a rational basis for what the legislature does, the courts uphold it. Uh, the, the, the Justice Ginsburg wrote that she was afraid the majority is already saying any rational restriction on abortion is going to be up, upheld. And that could mm. even be a complete ban, in my opinion, um, because of the ter- terrible damage it does to the human being and to the mother. And that evidence of the mother, of course, there's an explosion of knowledge since 1973 that shows it's a human being. Science is definitely on our side there. And there's an explosion of evidence from scientific studies that abortion hurts women. And I urge uh, your friend to definitely call the helpline. Anybody, anybody that's had an abortion, please, please go through the recovery process. Uh, it's basically free, or sometimes they may charge you for a lunch, you know, if they have a weekend or something. But, uh, it's you know, there's not counseling fees. It's not expensive. Nominal fees, maybe $10 for a book. And if you can't afford that, they give them away. But uh, So it's, it's basically free counseling, and it's amazing. I have seen women transformed by it, set free. And, and that's kind of my verse, Isaiah 61, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners. You don't have to be trapped in the darkness of having participated as a man or a woman in abortion. You don't have to feel condemned. Jesus does not condemn. He sets prisoners free. He sets the captives.
captives and liberty. And that's what Amen. we want all of the people who have abortions to come to. And, and the only group that can really offer that are the followers of Jesus Christ. So we offer that freely to everyone. Yeah, and we're we're taking it back to religion. We can pass as much legislation as we want to in the court. It may make a tide. It may change the tide. It may not change the tide. We don't know. We have to see where it goes. These days, we never know how legislation is going to fly through the White House and and through our Supreme Court. Where it really begins, if we're going to take it back to religion and take it back to church, is are we teaching the truth in love? Because people are not legislation. People are people. We need to change ourselves. Then legislation will also change along with it. When we start teaching, bringing it back to family values and morals and, and, and taking care of each other and not judging others based on their past or based on what things that, you know, like, like the abortion issue with the women, you know, when we start going to them and reaching out to them in love, that's mm-hmm. where the change will happen. Because even we can change yes. all the legislation in the world, but if people don't change in their hearts and at that bottom level, which is us, you know, out here, then it will not change. So we need to start teaching the truth in love. Amen. And it's amen. That, amen. That almost goes without saying, but I'm glad you said it. Um, Alan Parker, how long are you with us today? I'm afraid I'm going to have to be getting off. I, um, okay. Was, uh, and I I deeply appreciate all the work that you all do. I agree with your guest also that the church needs to confess its own sins before God and not point the finger at other people. Repentance I, is the key. I agree with Humility. that. Humility. And unless we repent before God, the nation really is doomed. We've, we, the church must come to repentance and ask God to forgive us for so many of the sins we've committed. Right, right. Amen. 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 We're going to take a quick break here, uh, and we'll be back on the other side of the break. So hang in there. Pro-Life Fridays Radio is on the air. If you have a question or want to call in, the number to call is 760-542-3907. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. 
We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And well... Welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Uh, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. I wanted to thank our guest, Alan Parker, for being on our show. That was a very enlightening segment. Wouldn't you say, Thomas? I would. And, you know, I would actually kind of like to kind of deviate from our normal norms and bring my friend Colleen back on because, as she said earlier, we literally, in the last three days, because of what we're working on, um, you remember me early, you, earlier talking about my executive team for the film? Yeah. When we talked earlier? Yeah. She's a part of that. Anyway, uh-huh. um, I want to I bring her back on, and I essentially want her to, through asking questions, I want her to really pour her heart out. And because let me tell you something, in a time, in an hour that I've spoken with this woman over the last few days, she cares and she's passionate not only about the children, but about the women who are being hurt. So, let me bring her back on. Colleen, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, my friend. I just want to, because you, you've already shared what what happened to you, but this is what I want you, I want you to share, if you, if you will. Help. Help the listeners understand the hell that you went through, if you if you will, when you when what happened to you. Because as you said, you after what happened to you, you was out of your mind. Please share with the listeners uh, what happened to you, and then talk about and then talk about why. There is a need for uh, better counseling services. I mean, especially 
in light of what's going on with our United States military and the sexual scandals, please, oh, I'm yes. asking <laughs> take it away. Um, well, when I end up getting raped, what happens to the military, they will take you off base. They won't keep you on post. All the rape records are held off post. So when you get out of the military, you have to literally fight for your benefit. But before that, they they do bring you back for your aftercare. And you know when when you're when you've been raped, you're not thinking of anything except for you you really 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 hate yourself because you blame yourself first. That's the first thing you do is you blame yourself. And and um, the gentleman that was on earlier, he is right. There are different steps and different phases, and they do not always come in the same order either. There's self-hate, there's lashing out against others, there's deep depression, and then there's plain just straight out suicidal thoughts and, and where people actually do carry them out, where that was the point I got to, where I was willing to do anything and everything to kill myself, and that was just after the rape. Then added on top of it, they you know you have to go in when they test you, they do the rape kit, and then they have you come back in a little bit later. And that's when I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> and not only, you know, now I don't know who these, these guys are. And they got away scot-free, by the way. Because most 90% yeah. of rapists get away. 90% of those reported. Mm-hmm. And there's many that are unreported. Uh, but they never caught the people. So I've been gang raped. And now I'm pregnant. So now I'm looking at hurting myself even more because I don't want to go out you know, and see anybody because I'm embarrassed from my mother rape. You know, I'm blaming myself as it is. I'm already suicidal. And that just pushed me over the edge was to find that I was pregnant too. And when they don't really tell you a lot, you know, when when you have to deal with abortions, because the military doesn't do abortions for you, by the way, unless it's a medical necessity. So some where they where you know you can carry the baby, but you know then you have to you're kicked out. <laughs> but they when you go to aftercare outside the military, it's not aftercare. It is you know you go in once a month, you see a doctor, and guess what they're doing? They're throwing you on antidepressants, all different kinds of drugs. Drugs is not the answer. Counseling and actually talking through these emotions you're going through and talking to people that have been there before you and been through the same exact thing that can help you walk through these steps that your body and your mind is going through is the answer. And right. most places do not do that. They're quick to throw you on drugs. You'll be seen, and heaven forbid you have access because then guess what? You're not going to get your counseling or, you know, state benefits or entitlements. You're not going to get your counseling. They're, they're quick to throw you out real quick with some meds and say, bye, see ya, have a nice day. You know, come back into the ER if you have a problem. So when I when I talk about you know the the feelings that the women go through, you know, and it's two separate incidents. It's not just one brutal thing. It ends up being two things, and it's a very shocking thing to the psyche. I took sociology and psychology in college. I was a hospital corpsman in the Navy. My whole field is in in medicine, and let me tell you, every woman goes out there thinking that it cannot happen to them. And, you know, when women go out thinking like that, and that's the way society we're trained our women to think is, oh, it won't happen to me. That makes it a lot worse, too, because when it does happen, that throws you for a loop, too. So 
your hormones are already going wacky because you're, you know, you're going through all these different things and these emotions and everything. Then when you're pregnant, your hormones change, and that throws you for another loop. And when you, and then when people, and this is, I've sat through a ton of different counseling classes, and I've led a bunch of different counseling classes for these women. The first thing they will tell you is when they thought about it, it, they weren't thinking about being pregnant as it was a life form because, you know, when you get told, you're usually told, right, when it's, like, you know, your first missed period or even before that because the rape kit often happens before that. But they're not thinking of it as a baby. And you're not thinking of a baby at all. You're thinking the pain you're going through, and it's, a, and it's emotion. It's ruled on emotion. I hear that all the time. But you're just going off emotion. Well, that is pure emotion. <laughs> For any woman, that is pure emotion, especially when your hormones change, then you got more emotion poured in. So emotion is a human thing. But with people that have made it through and actually carried a baby to term, what I've found is those people had a stable family behind them, backing them. They had pastors that were loving and caring, backing them. They had counselors, and they actually had the money to get those counselors. What happens when you don't? Like, I was one that didn't. I actually had to walk myself through this process because I had a guy was out of the military. They medically separated me. I had nothing. I was on DES benefits at the time, and I'm out there, and I had to walk myself through it, and eventually I found someone else who had been through the same exact thing I did, who helped me walk through it, and I ended up getting into a church that weren't, that the people, some of them were nice, other ones were not so nice, um, but the people that I did find within the church that actually, they counseled me and helped me through it. And that's why I bring up, you know, are we teaching in love? Because if we're not teaching in love, you're you're going to force that person away. They're not going to try and get help, if, and they're going to be ashamed to go out and even tell people. And that's another thing where rape victims already get in trouble is because they often don't tell that they're being raped to begin with because they're ashamed because society puts that on them. So we have to change society's way of thinking and the people's way of thinking. That's why I brought up we can pass all the legislation we want to. It's but that won't change society. So we have to change society. We have to change the norms and how things are brought about. And with the men too, we also have to change the way the men are too. Not just women. This is a team effort we have to make because men actually get affected by abortion too. Some men are out there they have a, you know, they get their girlfriend or their, you know, person pregnant. They want to keep the baby, but the girl says, no, I'm going to go ahead and go through and get an abortion. So therefore, men are affected too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and, and it hurts people. You know, it hurts men too. We had a pastor when we went out with Dr. Parker in Urban Cure who came forward and was talking about uh, a girlfriend that had an abortion, and it hurt him deeply. He gave a very good testimonial on the on the briefing that we did, uh, that was we we posted the link and everything. He, it was wonderful, you know. So men are a part of it. So men need the the, to, the awareness of abortion too. I would say it's a, it's an equal thing. Right. Um, I I have a question. A kind of a practical question. How do you see churches moving forward in um, finding a way? This is because I, I have this continual question. How do churches 
behave more pro-life because we have more churches that are pro-life pastors, leaders who are pro-life, but they are very unwilling to be open about that, and they simply, not because they don't want to offend or don't want to, they have no idea what to say. So you, we, we want to emphasize that we should speak the truth in love and love women who have been victims of rape um, and who are post-abortive, but what should churches, church people, pastors, leaders, what should we say? What should you say? <laughs> Something um, needs I to come out. <laughs> well, the first thing, you tell them that you're not there to judge them. That should be the first thing out of your mouth. <laughs> you you will sit there, you will listen to them, and you will hear them, and you will pastor, the, you will, you will pastor them through, with the word of encouragement through the Bible. You're not going to judge them. And that's what, when they came to me, when I was talking to people at the church I went to, that's how they brought it to me. They came at me they, with a non-judgmental attitude. They say, we love you. We're glad you're here. We understand your story. And, and we're not going to condemn you for it. So let's see how we can work on making you better. So therefore, you know, it, you know when you, know, you don't go out and you don't, uh, put yourself in, uh, like, say, like, premarital sex and different things like that, of course, <laughs> you know, different things. But they want to help you move forward with your with your spiritual health, because once your spiritual health is well, then your body follows. Wow. That's cool. And then also I would recommend, too, because they were the ones that also put me in touch with more people that were in the same situation I was. If these if these pastors, if these deacons, if these cardinals, anybody involved in the church, you know, they they need to have a system set up where they know that they're, you know, maybe even have a group of women that have been through the same thing because it, it's easier for women that have been through that situation to talk to other women that have been there, done that, and and come through it. That's why I like to talk so much about it is because I've been there, I've done that, I've come through it, I'm still here, you know. So, and we're able to go out and encourage, like, I, I, I have kids myself, I have grandkids, you know, so we're we're still here, and we can help each other through it, and that shows a lot of love to those women, knowing that they're not alone in this, too. Absolutely, wonderful. Uh, it's a great strategy. And then if the churches don't know how to do it, get a hold of people who do. <laughs> That to be the first well, thing. If I, you I don't know think, something, I, find I, out someone yeah, who does. Right. I think there are a lot of pastors, priests, leaders, whatever you want to, you know, whoever leads um, a lot of our churches here in America, I think they are at a loss for what to do. They are simply, una- they just don't know what to say. They don't know what to do because this is kind of uncharted waters. This is for churches. You would think that after abortion has been legal for 40 years, that the church has been able to tackle this problem. Well, they haven't. They have simply, many people have, have considered abortion to be something, the separation of church and abortion topics, uh, and have, have yeah. exercised that for so long. We uh, collectively don't know how to communicate, even though we do. I think a lot of yeah, pastors and a lot of Uh, Congregation members love people who have been through abortion who would love to share um, 
and bear their burdens for them and speak to them in love. We just don't know how. Uh, so I, I think that's oh, a, well, that's also, a uh, they're also they're also afraid to touch it because when when you when churches they they get afraid to touch the topic because you know like right with my experience and and the stuff we've been talking on today with with rape and incest and things like that versus the women who just go out and use this as a birth control you know there there is you know when women are using it as a birth control then the churches are kind of forced to take an abrupt stance on on it on the issue on on the pro life issue uh, it, it, they take a very abrupt and then they group everything all together so it and that's why they probably come off as being so harsh because they look at it as an overall issue they don't separate out which you know none of the cases are good by the way I must say that none of the cases are good. But when they when you have to group it with the people who are going out and just, you know, saying, oh, I made a mistake and went out, you know, and have an abortion, oh, next week, and got to go have another one, you know, they, that kind of everybody gets grouped in together and then everything becomes desensitized. So the churches have to hit it from the aspect of all big groups, and that's where it becomes a really big issue for the churches. Right. But when it, with the way you come at like for the 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 way you come at it, that's why I said you have to change society and the way they come at people because when we start changing people at the at the heart, then family morals get up you know uplifted. Then we don't have the girls running out getting pregnant. We don't have the little boys going out getting little you know girls pregnant. Or you know it, it changes everything. When you bring back family values, morals, and start uplifting and teaching and love, even even when you go to talk to your kids about sex education, so they don't find themselves in a position where they're having to go get or being faced with even the decision of having an abortion, we have to change society norms. You know, with like little kids, girls are in a in a bad spot because either you're cool because you're having sex with your boyfriend, or you're excuse my language considered a hoe if you're not sleeping with anybody. Whereas on the boys' side of the fence, they have, oh, you're not cool if you're not having sex. So we have to change, you know, there's there's other stuff that will that we change the society and bring up uplifting morals that will go towards that you were asking earlier on in the show about how do we change this whole rift. It's not just shut down abortion because there's a lot more stuff to do with that too. You know, that's when you're looking at, well, we got to get funding for counseling. We got to get funding for this and, and change the adoption process and foster care and having CPS kids out of homes and then just keeping them there in the system. We, there's a lot of stuff we have to change, but the very, very beginning of that change comes from changing people and changing the morals and uplifting the families and uplifting morals back to where they used to be. Hey, I agree. We do need to have a comprehensive strategy. Yes, Thomas. We gotta let me let me jump in for a minute because I was asked to make a comment from the back. She wants me to mention that a lot of churches are also afraid to tackle the abortion issue because it will hurt their bottom line, if you will. Yes, and it'll also hurt their funding. Yes. yes. 
yes. for, for exactly. me, that's an easy one. A- any church or any, I don't know, it's easy to say a church is worried about their bottom line. There's are, there are people who in particular is worried about that within that church, worried about the bottom line. Um, my guess, it's not all of them, but there are very few, there are very key people in every church in those key positions that are concerned right. about the bottom line. You need to find who is concerned about the bottom line in those churches and have a really interesting, long and hard talk with the pers- that person about priorities. Because exactly. let me tell you, in Jesus' words, um, he actually asked the question, was man made for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath made for man? And if right. they understand their Bible and they understand Jesus well enough, that question ought to answer itself. There you go. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. But that's where we also fall into the problem, too, is uh, if you see now in today's society, um, like earlier you said that you didn't that you didn't want to get into politics, you weren't getting into politics, but guess what? The churches are. <laughs> That's something you know that that will that we need to change too. The the church and politics are not supposed to mix like that. <laughs> Where and especially if they're teaching the wrong type of lesson, and they're worried about their funding being pulled. Oh, we won't support your church if you vote this way, or if they're telling you how to vote. That's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> Right, right. Um, you know, this is human nature. Churches don't function perfectly because we're not perfect. Um, we can only look right. you know, to an example of Jesus and uh, seek to decrease so that he can increase. Um, with, that, with that, we've got to move to our the, the dumbest thing ever, or what I'd like to say, the stupidest thing ever. You, gotta choose. I gotta, you know, the contest is still running, people. I haven't got a single suggestion what to name this segment i'm open to your ideas please contact us through pro life fridays on facebook but this is actually labels itself this week our story comes from get ready for this Pennsylvania university of pennsylvania assistant professor salamisha tillett interesting name her name her parents named her salami shah um, but I bet you it's pronounced Salamisha Tillett, who made this interesting comment about the state of abortion and why it seems like so many white Republican middle class people are against abortion. And she said, well, I think the census just released data, so part of it is the changing racial demographics in the United States. For the first time in American history, children born under the age of five are racial, meaning the more majority of them are racial and ethnic minorities in the U.S. So I think there's a kind of moral panic, a fear of the end of whiteness that we've been seeing a long time. I that I think, you know, Obama's ascension as president kind of symbolizes to a degree. And so I think this is one response to that sense that there's a decreasing white majority in the country and that women's bodies and white women's bodies in particular are obviously a crucial way of reproducing whiteness, white supremacy, and white privilege. 
And so I think it's a, just a kind of clamping down on women's bodies, in particular white women's bodies, even though women of color are really caught in the fray. Um, this, that's, that's the quote from what she said. Basically what she's saying is that people are, white people are against abortion because uh, we want more white people to have uh, a larger part of the population. So if abortion is oh, made wow. illegal, uh, that will benefit <laughs> white people. I, I don't um, know. I guess he has just read the stats on who the abortion actually targets. And if we right. stop having the, you know, the, the Planned Parenthood are all racially targeted in minority areas. If if that if what her statement what she was trying to say, they would be put in all white neighborhoods. They they right. wanna exactly. no, ooh, exactly. my goodness. That just has me oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you know, I'm thinking her PhD is in something but it's not in math. And and if she can't read the US census data quite right. Um, she, her her entire premise falls apart, and the facts just tear this down to pieces because the facts are that racial minorities, especially blacks and Hispanics, are targeted for abortion. Abortion has been the tool yes. to keep the population of minorities a minority uh, instead of the yes. other way around. So I think, you know, she really has this reverse. I I don't. Planned Parenthood is actually within a two. Each Planned Parenthood is actually within a two-mile walking distance radius in each minority neighborhood, both Black and Hispanic. Exactly. We we actually have a website that links, and we actually have it up. I think I put it up on on the last civil right. It shows you an interactive map. Most uh, most of your Planned Parenthood are actually. Within walking radius, two mile walking radius of Hispanic and Black uh, community, right. they're not in the so, white community. Know, I want to say that she's she's. I don't want to fault her personally because I think she's just doing you know what liberals do, which is parrot each other. I don't want to call her a monkey because we're going to get hate mail. Go ahead, try me. Monkey see, monkey do. But she's just parroting what you know Toure had said earlier about you know abortions. Great with me. Help me succeed in my career. But we have just a few seconds left on the show. I want to thank um, uh, Celine to, for being on this show with us and being a great caller. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, please join us again on another broadcast of Pro Life Fridays. We got to run. See you next week. Have a great night. Open wide, put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter, like race don't matter, like place don't matter, like what's inside. Let the kick drum kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yeah, where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin. Beneath these hopes and where we've been. Fight comes from the fight within I am the warrior side I am the 